Let's all stand and sing together. Cover me. Cover me. Take a few moments, man, and give God some glory this evening for the breaking of the bread of life. Amen. Let's sing a few songs. I've got the song on my heart, Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, Key of C. I have heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne And they were told that he would spare their lives If they would renounce the name of Christ But one by one they chose to die the Son of God, they would not deny. And like a great angelic choir sing, I can almost hear their voices ring. I pledge allegiance to the land. With all my strength, with all I am, I will 
righteous run into and they are saved. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, high. Well, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord Most High. Let the redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. Well, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord, and I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, I will sing, oh, I will sing. Oh, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. And with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. And with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness to all generations I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing of the mercies of the Lord and with my mouth shall I make known thy faithfulness thy faithfulness and with my mouth shall I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations I will sing of the mercies of the Lord Forever I will sing of the mercies of the Lord Amen, you love Him? Hallelujah, hallelujah Amen, we'll sing one more just before we change the order of our service Amen Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, 10,000 reasons. Let's sing that together. Amen. Then we'll take our special needs to the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> we don't want to be too long tonight. I know Brother Barry has some things to bring. So let's just sing this together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship His holy name and sing like never. 
worship your holy name. Well, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, and it's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. So bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name, and your rich in love, and your slow to anger, and your and your heart is kind. I will keep on singing Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul Oh, my soul Worship His holy sing like never before oh my soul I worship your holy name and on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near in my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending, ten thousand years and then forevermore, so bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship your holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Yes, I will worship your holy name. Oh, I will. Worship your holy name. Amen. Hallelujah. His name is great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he'd be ready to take a special needs to the Lord for us. Just to make mention of these, we um, said some of these this morning, and we want to continue to remember these folks in prayer. <clears throat> 
And afterwards, we'll just have the deacons make their way forward uh, when Brother Jeremy comes and uh, they can pray over the offering at that time as well. Amen. Uh, If you would remember Brother Keith and Sister Sarah, uh, they're not feeling well. Also, be mindful of Sister Laura Harwell. Uh, She just got out of surgery and is recovering. So if you'll pray for her, uh, certainly want to remember Brother Johnny Reynolds in your prayers as he is recovering as well. And um, also, we would like for you to remember Sister Joanne Ashlong. She uh, she fell and is in a lot of pain. If you would remember her in prayer, uh, please keep Brother Joe Pascal in your prayers. As we mentioned, um, he still has a ways to go in his road to recovery. So, if you would pray for him and his condition, remember the Jerome family. Brother Joseph certainly could use your prayers, and Sister Frida. Sister Mary Smith, certainly want to remember her as well. And um, we have Sister Ellen Parks uh, with the respiratory infection. And um, our dear brother Jason DeMar and the loss of his mother. If you'd remember him in your prayers, amen. Unspoken prayer requests, uplifted of hands. Brother Jeremy, if you come at this time, and the deacons as well, if they would come forward. And we can pray over that as well, amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful to gather once again in your name in this place to give you praise and worship this evening, Lord. Lord, I'm just so grateful, Lord, that you're not overwhelmed by what we bring to you in our needs, Father. Lord, you've provided a way for, for everything, Lord. You've, you've given us healing through the cross, Lord. You have given us your word and so many promises, Lord, that we take comfort in. You are our joy and our strength, Lord, our provider, our healer, Lord. So each of these needs, Father, we just lay at your your throne, Lord, and trust them into your hands. For those that are sick, God, I just pray that you would go to them and give them a healing touch. Comfort them, Lord, in their hearts, Lord, and just bring to their remembrance, Lord, your promise. Lord, I pray that you'd also give strength to those that are helping to take care of those that are ill. Lord Jesus, for those that have uh, lost loved ones, I just think of our, our brother Jason. Lord, he's going through this time of suffering. Lord, I ask that you would draw near to the family and be a comfort to them, Lord, as only... You can, really, Lord. Father, I pray, God, that uh, as we just turn to you in this subject of uh, this particular stage of families, Lord, we desire to know what your word says about it, Lord. So we just pray that you would give the minister uh, just a leading of your spirit. We look forward to what you have to say, Lord. Bless the tithes and offerings. As we give, Lord, to further your kingdom, we ask your blessings on the remainder of this service. In your name, Lord, amen.
Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading of the word tonight, Lord, and we commit this service, this time, Lord, into your hands and pray that you would give us, Lord, the wisdom, the instruction, the words we need in due season. Lord, you're always on time. You're the one, Lord, who imparts that understanding to us, Father, that we don't always get everywhere else, but Lord, we can always get from you. And so we commit our time into your hands now. Pray that you would anoint uh, what is said and what is heard, Lord, we pray. And Lord, every one of us families that are here, Lord, and those who are listening, we know we're all in different stages. But you know how to apply the word to every heart and every family. And so we're confident, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Let's take your Bibles tonight. We welcome all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and it's good to have you all uh, here tonight. I'm going to jump right in uh, as we begin our teaching tonight. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 24. We're going to read a little portion there, and then we're going to go to the book of Mark. Great to have the Thompsons uh, with us tonight. Good to have you here from Charlotte area, and uh, good to have all of you and those that are listening tonight. We have a number of people who are streaming and following. This will be streamed and archived and uh, available for folks. So uh, let's go to Genesis, the second chapter here. Just let me find it. Didn't have it marked. This is a very familiar passage and one that God spoke very early uh, in the process of time and the development of things in the Garden of Eden. And it says in verse 23, And Adam said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. It doesn't say, Therefore shall a man stay with his mother and father forever. But it says, Therefore shall a man leave and shall cleave unto his wife. And they both shall be one flesh. Mark chapter 1. Let's read there. So that was God's determination in the very beginning. Mark chapter 1. And in verse 16 is this little story, just a little incident here that we get or a glimpse of what it was like in the life of these disciples here. And it says that in verse 16, now as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. May God add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. I'm going to title this tonight, The Christian Family Part 3, and uh, without any pre- much preamble, I just want to jump right into the material. Back in uh, March 14th, 2020, I began this little series and did the first two parts. 
Uh, we took a Saturday and did it, and today is uh, the part three. And uh, once, when we did this uh, little weekend, we did it on a Saturday. When we did that, uh, we were shut down immediately after because of the pandem- pandemic that came through. And so we were, uh, we were kind of short-circuited there in the, uh, in the process of uh, following through. But I wanted to uh, take a little bit of time tonight, and I appreciate all of you coming and being here, and I wanted to uh, deal with this particular subject. And uh, I find that naturally, like most preachers will tell you, uh, it's not uh, easy to get through all of it, so we probably will not cover all of the material related to this. Um, I, I, I did an interesting thing. There were some things that were said to me by families in the church here uh, about this season of life. And we all go through different seasons uh, in life, whether you like it or not, all the way from birth until death and all the different uh, interchanges that you have uh, in your marriage and in your family. And um, they're, they're unpreventable. It's, it's, it's not possible to not have uh, seasons that you go through. In the same way in nature, it's not possible for you not to go through all the seasons of the year. They happen anyway. They happen whether you are determined to stay in summer or you love the winter. Hey, things are going to change. And part of the theme tonight is dealing with these two words. One of them is interruptions and the second one is adjustments. Life hands us interruptions. We are going to be successful and victorious when we are able to be ready to adjust. Because interruptions are going to come anyway. If, you're in a, if we're in a situation where uh, they forecast a storm coming, it's going to be a terrible snowstorm and the temperatures are going to drop really low, uh, you have a choice when it comes to reacting to that. You can sit there and try to pray away the storm. Uh, it might work. It might not. Uh, or you can prepare for that. You can make adjustments for that. So we're going to put in extra food or we're going to get some salt or we're going to uh, make sure that our pipes are covered so things don't freeze. How we handle interruptions in life helps us to gain the victory over the inconvenience that interruptions causes. And so we want to talk about that tonight as a, bit, a little bit of a theme here. And uh, I was, uh, as speaking to some of the families here, uh, they, they mentioned about this season of life where children get older and they leave home and then there's consequences to that. And uh, I went back and I began to look. I looked at my notes. I looked at all the different series that I had done about families and uh, marriage and raising children and everything else. And I realized... Uh, in my review of all of those things, I realized I've never touched this subject. I've never dealt with this or addressed this subject. And uh, there was really not much said about this at all, at least on my part. And then I, I, I thought about uh, the fact that uh, Brother Branham himself never really went through uh, this season either. He passed away long before his family all started to get married. Now, Billy Paul, uh, his son, left. But uh, there was, there's a, a lot of things that are not said about this season. I really don't know why, because it is an important thing for us to be aware of and to find out uh, what, where the boundaries lay uh, in this kind of a thing. And, and for every family, we want to know in the, in the same way we have an interest in learning where the boundaries are in raising children, how much should we allow them to do, and who, they have fr- who are their friends are, and so forth. We also want to have boundaries all the way through life. 
It's good for us to have boundaries in relation to our finances. It's good to have boundaries in terms of, uh, you know, things that are acceptable within our marriage and things that are not. Boundaries are important. And in this area of life, we want to have it as well. I will tell you out front that I don't have all the answers to all of uh, the questions that can be raised here. Uh, but uh, I think it's worth for us to jump in and begin to talk a little bit about this. I've made a statement many times. I made it, uh, I think, on Wednesday night that children affect marriage when they come into it and when they go out of it. And I did not mean to apply, imply by that that it's a negative impact. When we had children, we were excited. We were happy that we had children. But it represented a big adjustment, right? Because we used to sleep uh, before we had children. And when we had children, all of a sudden, my goodness, uh, that was one of the things we missed. We remembered how we used to sleep through the night. And uh, uh, we, we, we had adjustments to make, but they were good adjustments. We, we loved our children. And we know it's in the past tense. We loved our children. They all left us, but we, all, we loved our children, and uh, we had a lot of fun. We did a lot of things, and it was a real, uh, you know, two adults getting together and getting married was an adjustment, but not quite as big an adjustment as when you have children. And it, I mean, it, it, uh, it is a whole new phase, a whole new series of life. And when the children leave your household, uh, by then, by the time they're old enough to leave your household, you kind of have some things figured out. Right? You got some uh, ways of doing things that are working finally after all of these years. It might, be, might have taken you 18, 19, 20, 22 years to get things figured out. And then, boom, they turn around, give you a kiss on the cheek, and leave. One of my kids, you know, when they left, this is how we did it. And I, I, speak, out of, uh, I, I speak out of experience here because I, uh, I've gone through this now four different times when all the boys have left. And uh, I never knew how you're supposed to let your children leave. No one ever taught me or said how children should go. But I'll tell you how one of them went, and that was uh, when we were standing in the kitchen, and he was all packed up, ready to go, had the last of his gear uh, packed up in the car and leaving. And then he kind of turned to me and said, hey, I guess this is it, right? This is, this is it. I'm leaving. And this is the last time, right? And I, you know... I. I pushed back all the emotion that I had about that moment. And uh, he said, uh, I, I said to him, well, I said, aren't, aren't we supposed to say something like at times like this? I mean, is there, isn't there something profound that I'm supposed to say to you when you're leaving? Or you just say to me when you're leaving? Like, th- gee, thanks, Dad. And appreciate all the sacrifices and everything else, you know. And he thought about that for a second, and he just looked at me and he said, hey, Dad, how about $20 for gas? I thought, <laughs> that touched my heart. That's my boy. <laughs> Hadn't changed a bit. So let's talk a little bit about these uh, subjects tonight, or we could divide it up this way. And we want to we uh, deal with the uh, years of growing towards independence, raising our children towards independence. We're going to spend the majority of our time on this number one. And then the actual part of letting go. And then what happens next? What happens after uh, children actually leave, uh, leave the nest? And so <clears throat> today, as, uh, without having to spend a whole lot of time on this, we know that families uh, face struggles today because the traditional uh, Christian family uh, is not as, um, not as normally looked upon as it used to be years ago. Uh, fundamental moral norms are being trampled on uh, more and more often these days instead of being upheld. 
And so therefore, we as, we as Christians and we as people who uh, adhere as closely as we can to the Bible and scriptural teaching, uh, we find ourselves a little more uh, odd, if you like, or unique, uh, the farther we go along. But yet, we still hold that God's word is right. And so therefore, we, uh, we want to find, search and find principles in here that help us to raise our children, to help us guide, uh, guide our families through the times that we live in. And just because times are difficult and we have opposition doesn't mean that the Bible is wrong. It only means that we have to be more astute. We have to be more studious in terms of uh, finding out what God says. So I went back, and in the year 2000, I had a magazine that I kept in my files, uh, and it's called World Magazine. It's not a worldly magazine. It's called World, and it was written by a very dedicated group of Christians, and that magazine is still available in the digital format. And uh, I took a little excerpt out of that uh, magazine, and I'm going to quote from some different sources tonight, C.S. Lewis and this magazine and a couple of other places here, so I'm going to give you a bit of a broad perspective. But in the year 2000... Uh, this article appeared uh, as a feature story in this magazine, and it was titled, We Are Family. And he wrote, As children grow to have children of their own, whereupon they grow up to have children, until both the earth and the heaven are indeed filled with a particular couple's prosperity. Children grow, they have children, they have children, until this becomes uh, quite, a, quite a large family tree. And he says, the family is God's invention. How many would agree? He protects it in the Ten Commandments. And since our dependence on him is like a helpless baby to a loving parent, we are told to address him as our father. And since his relationship to us in Christ is as loving loving and intimate as that between a groom and his bride, the church is called the bride of Christ. And then he says, and although the family is the basis of culture, and it is, and it always has been, And God established that right from the very beginning. The family is the basis of a culture, as any anthropologist will say. Today, parents often find themselves having to protect their children from their own culture. We find that to be true. And instead of helping parents teach their children to control themselves, to act morally, and to mature into adults, our society, in its entertainment, industry, schools, and government, often seems to undermine parents and to be at war against our children. Let me say it again. That instead of helping parents teach their children to control themselves and to act morally and to mature into adults, our society, in its entertainment industry, its schools, and its government often seems to undermine parents and to be at war against your children. So therefore, the burden increases for parents to instill these things in the lives of children, to act morally, to control themselves, to be responsible and worked and and to mature into adults and so forth, be able to uh, learn about holding a job and to be able to be keepers at home and all of those things are not built into the society's teaching anymore or the attitude within society. The burden falls on parents and ideally or hopefully on the church as well to supplement or support what parents are trying to do with their kids. And so we find a trend in, and this is the only statistic I'll give you tonight, uh, this trend I thought was interesting that there is a larger, much larger proportion of young people unmarried between 18 and 34 who are living in their parents' home today than there ever has been since the Great Depression. If you look at this graph, and this graph goes from, sorry, the print is small, but it goes on the left-hand side from 1880 until 2014. 
And the highest, uh, the highest time when, uh, when singles were living with their parents is right around the time of depression. And that often was driven by necessity. There was not enough money to go and rent your own house or buy your own house or buy the materials to build your own house. That wasn't there. And as a result, uh, there was a lot of uh, children who never left home. They never got married or they got married and moved in with their parents. And uh, the, the number of uh, children living at home was very high. Then radically it dropped. As the economy approved, it radically dropped. And uh, young people moved out on their own. But now we're back in an interesting swing back upwards again, which is pretty striking. People who study statistics will tell you that when you see swings like this over a very short period of time where there's a drastic drop or rise, it is a really significant change in what's happening in the culture. And so... Uh, there are a lot of different reasons for this, but it's interesting to note that uh, young people are getting married later in life. There's a lot of young people who don't believe in marriage. Uh, they don't want to get involved in marriage, and for economic reasons and so forth, uh, they're deciding to stay home longer. Uh, didn't work with me, but that is the statistic that's happening uh, in our society. So by definition, as a little review, a Christian family is a group of people who are related to each other through marriage, birth, or adoption, and are committed first and foremost to the person and the work of Christ, faithfully witnessing to the love, power, and the forgiveness of God. That's kind of a simple, condensed version of what a Christian family is. And I believe that, and what I always encourage young people to do, especially when they're starting out in marriage, is to make a declaration to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in order to have your home a Christian home, in order to have your house a Christian household or a household for God, uh, you've got to make decisions about that. It's not going to automatically happen because two Christians marry and live in the same house. You've got to actually establish certain things in your household uh, that become guiding lights for you. And we've talked about some of these, and uh, these are three here that I think are important. Number one, we want to say that our, our, our place, our home, is a place where the Holy Spirit's always welcome. And a couple has to decide that. They have to determine that. And whether you're going out uh, as a single person to live by yourself or whether you're starting a family, uh, whether your kids leave home, you still want to make and maintain your home as a place where the Holy Spirit's always welcome. So there's not going to be things that happen here that grieve the Holy Spirit or are contrary to what He would approve of. Secondly, our home should be, and we should strive to make our home, a place that is separate from Sodom. There's a barrier between us and Sodom. There is a, uh, there's a wall between us and Sodom. And it should be that way. Because if you don't have that, and if you don't maintain that, Sodom is going to creep in. How many would agree? Sodom's going to find a way to get in. And so nowadays we have to be more, uh, more careful about this thing because it's not just a front door that's going to separate you from Sodom. Uh, you've got to have some monitoring over social media, over what comes in on the airwaves and the sound and everything else. There's all kinds of ways where Sodom can uh, creep in. And thirdly, we want to have a place where preparations are made to leave this world. In the third exodus, or sorry, in the first exodus, when Moses took the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, he took the uh, believers out after they had made preparations in their home to leave. They had to be dressed a certain way. They had to eat certain foods. They had to have their staff in their hand. They had to have their homes cleaned out. And most importantly, they had to have the token applied. And when the token was applied, that was a sign that the death angel passed over, and then they were free to go after that. 
When we talk about establishing a vision for our family, and this comes over, uh, you know, uh, not a, it's certainly not an overnight de- uh, development here, but we want to establish f- uh, faith and spiritual issues uh, as a priority in our household. So we would say, uh, in our house, uh, you know, the Word of God uh, has the last say. In our house, the Word of God is an absolute. In our house, we go to church. In our house, we don't let anything interrupt the spiritual uh, requirements that are uh, laid upon us as believers. We also want to develop biblical order. So what does it mean to be a father and a husband? What does it mean to be a mother and a wife? What does it mean to be a children who obeys their parents in the Lord? And what does that look like? What does that feel like? And so we want to develop that. And that'll come over time because most parents have never had children, so they don't know how to do it, and they learn to do it by experience. Or they learn to do it uh, because somebody instructs them and gives them some direction. We also want to establish standards and boundaries and discipline. And discipline is good. Fences are there for our good. God puts fences around us not so that we have limited joy, but God put fences around us to keep the enemy out. And so we want to establish those uh, in a way that works. And then we want to adjust those where those fences are as our children grow older. So we don't want to confine our uh, 18-year-old the way we would confine a 4-year-old. We want to make sure that they have the breathing room. Because if you don't, you'll only foster rebellion in the hearts of your children. And then fourthly, we want to maintain a godly atmosphere. So that's going, to, uh, that's going to be determined by what kind of music we listen to here, uh, what kind of things we watch, what kind of things we read, what kind of things we bring in, what kind of friends we allow to come in the house, what kind of activities uh, we participate in. All of those things will help maintain a godly atmosphere. Number five, we want to learn to resolve differences because no matter how hard you try, you're going to have differences. No matter how hard you try, there's going to be times when you don't agree with one another, and uh, we need to learn how to resolve those as best we possibly can. And then uh, the last thing that we want to uh, establish in our household is uh, what kind of stewards we are going to be. And this is not the responsibility of any one person, but we're going to work on our finances because finances are, or failure in finances is the leading cause of divorce in our world. And uh, we want to be good stewards over everything that God has given to us. Our time, our, our money, our children, everything that's put in our hands is, is something that we are required to be good stewards over. And so we want to make sure that we uh, practice biblical principles when it comes to that. Then we want to, in developing that, we want to say what we allow our kids to participate in by establishing good boundaries. So we want to teach them to have good friendships. And teaching them to have good friendships is not something that they just uh, enjoy when they're little, but also as they grow older. Because when they grow into teenage years or middle school years and up from there, uh, when they get more freedom and maybe they're in college, uh, their friends are going to have a more profound influence on young people. So they need to learn to stand strong. They need to learn to understand what they believe and be willing to uh, explain that. Why don't you cut your hair? Or why don't you wear tattoos? Or why don't you come to a dance with us? Or why don't you uh, drink a little, just a little social drinking? They should, our children should have answers as for the hope that lies within us. 
And then we want to uh, include in that uh, why we dress the way we do, why we limit the kind of music that we listen to, and uh, why that we don't always take uh, as absolute truth what the media says and so forth. We, we learn and we teach our children not to be influenced by that because there are better things to be influenced by than the media. And thirdly, more importantly, we want to make sure that our children understand what it means to make good choices when it comes to relationships because the choices you make in relationships are permanent. When you get engaged to a girl or a boy and you get married to a girl or a boy, uh, that's a one-way street because God hates divorce. We know divorce, ha divorce happens, but uh, we, we want to teach our children to be discerning and to be conservative and to be patient and wait uh, until the right choice is the will of God for them, and they're convinced of that. And so this is not run by just feelings. This is uh, run by uh, seeking and following the will of God. We teach our children that. But let me say this, uh, and I'm going to use this phrase a lot here. We teach our children that because we want them to practice that. Right? We teach them that, not because they're going to remain children all the time, but we teach them that because, you know what, over time, and you keep feeding them, they're going to get bigger. And over time, they're going to get older. And you're finding out you're putting more and more candles on that birthday cake. And try as hard as you want, pray as much as you want, they get older every year. Every year they get a bit older. Until the time when they come to the place where, where, <clears throat> this is even hard to say. God puts something in their heart that pulls stronger in them than the pull of the familiar. When God will pull, put something in their heart that is stronger in their hearts, it'll pull them from the familiar. The familiar is the environment they've been in for the last 18 or 20 years. That's their family, that's their surroundings, that's their way of life for the last 18, 20 years. That's kind of what they call normal. But then all of a sudden there's a stirring in their heart. There comes a moment in their life when all of a sudden there's something stronger that pulls them from the familiar into this new territory and this new ground. And I will, I'm here to tell you tonight, there is nothing you can do to stop it. There is nothing you can do to prevent it. And I will say this as well, it's not sin. It's not a sinful thing for kids to want to have their own home. It's not wrong for kids who are raised right to want to, uh, you know, go with a young boy or a young man who's worthy of them and to establish their own household and to be able to have their own children and to be able to enjoy that season of life that you've trained them for. Therefore shall a man leave. That was God's statement in the very beginning. Try as you want, as hard as you want. I did. I bribed. I tried to pay. I tried to do everything I could to influence our kids to stay. But God puts something in them that pulls them. It's stronger than the familiar. And it'll pull them out into a new world they've never been before. And they think, oh, wow, this is going to be great. But they don't know, right? It, it, it'll pull them into an environment that they've never been before. They've never lived in their own house, uh, you know, as a married person. And it'll pull them out of that. And I will tell you something. They're going to go whether they're prepared or unprepared. They're going to go with or without your blessing. But they're going to go. It's going to happen. The only th choice you get is whether you're going to prepare for that moment or not. Denial is much more than just a river down there in Egypt. 
denial is something that a lot of parents go through and they say, oh, our kids will always stay. I got news for you. They won't. They'll go. Now, C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, God is not so much offended that we want too much as by the fact that we are satisfied with so little. He offers us the highest of adventures in our Christian life, and we settle for the stale mediocrity of our lukewarm religious routines. For parents, the counterpart to this idea, so let's take that and apply it to parents. The counterpart is that most mothers and fathers actually want too little for their children. They'll settle for success in the world's terms. So they pass their tests, they go to college, you know, they get a degree or whatever else. But God would have us aim higher, not like an ambitious stage mother pushing her mildly talented children into the spotlight, but watch, but like a fine jeweler making the best possible use of each bit of gold, silver, and precious stone he has. My children, he said, are priceless treasures, and I want God's highest and best for them. I thought that was an interesting statement. Now, let's just put it in context like this. And I think that, uh, you know, it's good for us to talk about this. That when it comes to uh, teenagers today, and I'll, 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 I'll say it uh, in this way, that I think that a, a lot of teenagers, um, it can be a very confusing time for them to grow into that uh, time when they're leaving home and uh, what they, how they should go about that and so forth. Because it's not, as I said, it's not really very uh, much talked about. But can you imagine if you were uh, planning to climb Mount Everest and you paid your $60,000 uh, and you were going to, uh, you know, go do Everest and, uh, you know, everything was arranged and you had all your Sherpa guides and usually they'll use about 20 porters for the one climber who climbs. So if you have three or four climbers, you could easily have 100 uh, Sherpas who accompany uh, you in that climb. And when they come up to Mount Everest, and I've seen this scene, I've not been up there, and I don't want to go up there, uh, Lord willing, unless God calls me to go up there, I'm not going to go up there, uh, but I don't think that he will. Uh, there's other people who are much more foolhardy than me, but I will say, say this, that uh, once you go above 26,000 feet in the climb to uh, Everest, that's what they refer to as the death zone. And if you're going to die on Mount Everest, you're probably going to die above 26,000 feet. That's where the really risky part comes, and that's where uh, you get blood forming in your lungs. And once that begins to happen, uh, chances are you're probably not going to come down the mountain alive. You're going to come back uh, stiff. And so, therefore, uh, this death zone is really a, uh, it's really a critical phase of the climb. There's only 3,000 feet or so left above that, but that's what they refer to as that death zone. And so... Uh, let's just say uh, that you've been doing really well, and as you're climbing up there and you get to 26,000 feet, your uh, guide turns to you and says, hey, listen, you have excellent physical conditioning and you have clear mountaineering skills. And so therefore, hey, listen, we're going to pull back and we're all going to go back down to the base camp here and let you finish the climb on your own. You're good. You're all right. I think as a climber, I would have to say, hey, 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 I didn't pay all this money for you guys to leave me on the edge of the death zone. Now is when I really need you. And I need you to help me in this last part of it because that's really the part where it's most dangerous altogether. I need to be guided through the death zone. I really believe that a lot of times today the teenagers are left to make decisions 
on their own in relation to some of these things that we've talked about, making life choices and uh, finding a mate and so forth, uh, many times they can be left alone in that time when it's really a treacherous time. There are important decisions that are going to affect the rest of their lives. Let me say this to you parents, that even though sometimes the initial impression is that teenagers don't want you to interfere, I think that's a really, really good time for you to stay with your uh, teenagers, stay with them in that time of life because it can be a time when they really uh, are capable of making poor decisions and they need the love and guidance of parents. And if that's a a difficult thing, if that's a grating thing, G-R-A-T-I-N-G, if that's a thing that is a struggle for you to do, I would encourage you to fix whatever it is that makes that less grating and makes it more possible. Because that's not a time for teenagers to push you away, and it's not a time for you to push teenagers away. That is a time when you need one another, and those years can be like uh, the last portion or the worst portion of the climb, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of kids, they'll turn today to uh, social media, they'll turn to peers, uh, they'll turn to the uh, most uh, unproductive sources of information at the most critical time of life. Does that make sense? So when it comes to this, and and leaving home and getting married is not the death zone in particular, uh, but uh, there are tricky or treacherous seasons that young people enter into, and they don't have years of experience, they don't have years of insight and understanding, Uh, they need some help, they need communication, they need your love, they need just sometimes just to put your arms around them, and and for, for them to hear you say, hey, I've been there, I've done that, Uh, I understand what you're going through. So it's best in every sense. It's best in every sense to leave with the blessing of the parents. And uh, it's an important uh, thing for young people to pursue that. Here's what Brother Branham says. And I've used this statement many times. But I'm looking at some of these statements again in a kind of in a different light. He said, we got to think of our young people. And we got to think of the others that's coming on behind us. These young people and a place for our children. And our daughters, we don't want them out in the world like that. We want them raised like their mothers. And we've got to make arrangements for that. It's not just going to automatically happen. We have to actually put in place some instruction. We had to put some, in place some boundaries. We've got to put in place some principles here that our children can learn and use until they step out and become mothers and wives themselves. So we're not raising them or instilling principles in them just to remain teenagers forever, because they're not. The more they learn to interact and the more they grow, the more they're going to be susceptible in finding someone that will, uh, you know, be a, a life mate. And he said, we want, to, uh, we want to prepare for that. We want to be proactive. We want to not be in denial that our kids will never leave, but we want to be proactive. And uh, we, we don't want them to be learning from the world. We don't want them to be learning out in the world. We want our parents to have influence on them. And so we've got to make arrangements for that. That's not going to happen just automatically. We've got to make arrangements for that. We could kind of put it in a graphic like this, that everyone is reaching for a higher level of maturity from, uh, from birth all the way to uh, until we enter the kingdom. Uh, we, we go through stages. And as we go through these stages, there's always somebody ahead of us who is a, an older person that we can learn from, we can ask questions of, uh, we can seek counsel from. But remember, there are always people behind you too that are looking for uh, instruction as well. 
And I title this scripture here, under, I included it under the power of influence, that he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So when it comes to your children leaving, when it comes to your children entering that stage of life, we want them to get the best advice possible. And I will tell you that many times that best advice comes from people that are closest to them. Does that make sense? Am I making sense here? All right. Here's a quote by Greg Harris. Not Josh Harris. This is Greg Harris. And uh, he said this in, in the year 2005. He said, walking with the wise is a lifestyle, not a program. Walking with the wise, that we just quoted there in Proverbs 13, is, is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Walking with wise people is a, is, a, is a way of living, not a program. It includes working together, eating together, playing together, worshiping together, studying together. And this is where God placed a responsibility for child training and education. And it looks and it works very well in aiming children at God's highest and best targets in life. So when we say that, uh, you know, we, we, we want to influence our children and... Uh, he that walketh with the wise shall be wise. It, it means not just a, a moment's contact, but it means living together, eating together, worshiping together, praying together, studying together, all of those things that, that make up daily life. And then he said, and this is what I want for my children, God's highest and best. And I don't want my children to be merely counted among the reformed. I want them to stand with the reformers. I don't want my children to be just merely counted with the redeemed, but I want them to stand with the Redeemer. We want our children to be influencers for good. We want our children to be influencers for the kingdom. We want to help develop the gifts and talents God's put in them. And part of that is the result of walking with the wise. And this is what he's, this is what he's telling us. Psalm 128. Blessed is every man that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. Now, I love David's wisdom here. Watch what he says. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, and happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Everyone that feareth the Lord. Mom and a dad, if they fear the Lord, and they walk in his ways. He said, thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Vines by the side of your house, they cling, they cluster, and they climb, right? That's what vines do in the side of your house. They cling, they cluster, and they climb. And he says that your wife shall be like a fruitful vine that is by the sides of thine house, and thy children like olive plants around the table. And he uses this analogy here. I think it's really great. I've told you before that olive plants in the Middle East, because the soil is so dry and rocky, and it doesn't, it's, it's not loamy and soft at all. Uh, when they plant a little sapling, a little seedling of an, of an olive tree, they put it in the, in the ground. They're basically burying it in rock. And they have to fertilize it and water it and dung it. And they have to prune it. And they have to care for it greatly in its early years. Uh, and that, that, that tender nurturing goes on, they say, for about 15 to 16 years. 
So an olive tree, before it takes root and before it's able to stand on its own and before it's able to be kind of left on its own, it takes about 15 or 16 years uh, of caring, hands-on caring and watching it every day and making sure it's not going to dry up, make sure that uh, it's got the right fertilizer, making sure that uh, it's staked correctly and pruned in a timely fashion. Uh, You've got to do that for 15 or 16 years because the soil of the Middle East is generally so dry and arid. But they say that if the plant is properly cared for after 15 or 16 years, uh, the husbandman can let it go. He can let it produce. And it begins to prove, uh, produce. And it'll produce for about the next 40 years. It'll, it'll, it's able to function on its own for the next 40 years. And all you really need to do is take the fruit off it uh, in the harvest time. And you need to prune it every now and then. But you know what? Its roots are down. It's solid. It's going to last through the hot summers because we've already been through the cycles of that. And it's going to uh, bear fruit and it's going to be strong for about 40 more years. And, and David here uses that analogy when it comes to this man who follows and fears the Lord and walks in his ways. He said, your children are going to be like those little, little plants that you're going to have to have your hands on them for the first 15 or 16 years or so, uh, give or take a year. And you know what? They don't have deep roots. They're not going to stand on their own. We can't assume they're going to survive we got to make sure they got the right food, the right atmosphere. we got to make sure they're fertilized right. we got to get rid of the suckers. we got to get rid of the, uh, the, the bugs. we got to get rid of the diseases there. we got to keep an eye on that to make sure that it puts down the right roots. Are you following me? But you know what? You bring it up to a place where it has some of those uh, good roots put down there. Uh, that that uh, tree, you can back off. You can let that tree now produce on its own. And it's going to, over the next 40 years, it's going to bring you great fruits. And you know what those fruits are called? Grandchildren. And when your child is married and out of the house and they're producing children on their own and raising their kids, you're not in there every day saying, hey, uh, you can't wear that. You can't wear that with that. So you got to go in and change. And uh, you, you can't do, shouldn't be eating that. Uh, you, you need to put that back. Too much sugar in that, so you can't eat that. We're not doing that over our kids when they're 25 and 30. At least I hope you're not. There's got to be a letting go, right? There comes a moment in time when you realize, i got to let this thing go, because if I keep hovering over it, it's not going to do what it's intended to do. I nurtured it to let it go. I planted it so that it would come to maturity and I could let it go. I, I did all, took all that care so that we could let it go. And when we let it go at the right time and the right season and the right blessing, let me tell you, there's fruits that come from that. I hope you're following along. And in the last verse that David says, Behold, that thus shall the man be that blessed, thus shall, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. And a man who follows God's ways in this season of life, that he's, he's a blessed man. Believe it or not, he's blessed. Now, let's look at some examples of this, of, of letting go. Let's look at some uh, parts of this we find in Scripture. In Titus chapter 2, Titus tells, uh, Paul tells Titus, he said, Now the aged women, likewise, that they be, be in behavior as become with holiness and not false accusers and not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That woman has to be of this caliber so that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their own husbands, 
to love their children. What's Paul telling the aged women to do? Prepare these girls for their entrance into married life. They're going to come to this season of married life. And so this is what we want you to teach them. They may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands. Put your phone away and and, uh, reach out to God and make sure that this young boy that's got an interest in you, this is appropriate and this is the will of God and this is the right thing. Teach them to be sober. Teach them to love their husbands. And you know how a woman is going to teach a young girl to love her her husband? She's not going to have much success if she tries to explain that. But when she models that, it's going to affect that young girl more than anything else. Here's how you love your husband when he does stupid. Here's how you love your husband when he makes a mistake. Here's how you love your husband when he loses his job, not through his fault. Here's how you love your husband when we don't always have enough money to make ends meet. Here's how you love your husband when you have disagreements about disciplining your children. And I will tell you the the lessons that you can give to young women when you demonstrate or model real true love, unconditional love to your husband. That's a lesson those girls should take with them. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And so Paul is telling the aged women, you have a responsibility because you know what? As hard as you might try to hold on to your kids, they're going to become wives to their own husbands. They're going to become mothers to their own children. They're going to establish their own home. And you need to take advantage of the season that they're with you in order to influence them to do it right according to the Word of God because that season will roll around. It's going to happen. Okay? So we find again in Proverbs chapter 11, where no counsel is, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors are safety. So we want to instill in our children an idea that, or the principle that, uh, you know, there are going to be things that happen to you in marriage that you're not prepared for. There are things that are going to turn out in life that you never, you never bargained for. And when it comes to something that's bigger than what you two can handle, you're going to need to reach out to somebody. And that's biblical. That's okay. And God probably puts in, has put in your path already uh, people there that would be able to help, people who have wisdom, people who have insight. And therefore, you should not be afraid to use them or too proud to admit you need help. Second Timothy chapter 2, Thou therefore, my, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things thou hast heard of me among many, many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You always see this age... Uh, integration thing. You always see this thing that uh, you're, you're, you're under me to learn from me so that the people who are going to be under you will learn from you so that the people under them will learn from them and this cycle goes on and on and on forever and that's the idea that God placed also in, in our families that your children are not permanent members of the household. Uh, it's really only husband and wife that are supposed to be permanent members of the household. In adoption, Brother Manum says, I'm an old man, we're getting old, hair turning gray, see us fading away, him and his wife, he's referring to. And he says, Rebecca, my daughter, I'm so grateful for her, and her music teacher told me the other night, my, she keeps going that way, Brother Branham. it's hard to tell what she'll do. And I want, this is his desire, every minister, every pastor feels this way, I want Sarah on the organ and Becky on the piano, Joseph in the pulpit. That's a father's desire, that's, that's what he would want. But I'll guarantee you that the children had other ideas. 
right? They had other ideas about what they wanted to do. Now, for me, I got Becky on the piano. Well, that's about all I got uh, in this one here. But it is a, uh, it, that's a normal desire for fathers. That's a normal desire for parents. We want them to stay close. We want them to stay around. I remember when my mother was dying, as I told you before, and uh, she had cancer, only so many days to live. And uh, I, I asked her what, what we could do for her, what she wanted. And her, and, her, and her request was always the same. She said, I just want to have my family around me. In the days I have remaining on the earth, I just want to have my family around me. And that's the normal, natural desire of every father and mother. They want to have their kids around them. You know why? Because we form relationships with our children as they grow older. When they're younger, it's different. When they get older, we form relationships with them. And when the relationship with the spouse is not so strong, it's easy to develop strong bonds between yourself and your children. So when they talk about leaving, when they get older, and they look at other horizons, uh, this becomes more of a difficult thing. In Genesis chapter 2, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And here's the scripture again. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. And that's the way God intended it. And here's another statement here. A second-handed robe is a sermon. And this is Elisha leaving home. He goes with Elijah because God is working on him for future service. God is working on Elisha to learn from Elijah, not from his parents, but to learn from Elijah because God's got another role for him to step up into. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the idea. Now, stay with me now as we look at this. I went back and I looked a little bit at, at uh, the Jewish mindset here. And uh, this is what it said. That Jewish tradition requires that children be educated to independence. The teaching among Jews is that children be educated to independence. We know they're going to become independent. So we're going to educate them to that. They're going to be proactive. They're going to have their hands on that. And the rabbis of the Talmud instructed every father to teach his son a trade. But some said he also must teach his son to swim. Huh, you never thought that was coming. Swimming involves being out of one's element. For some people, swimming is a terrifying thing because they're in an, in an environment where they're out of control. And they don't, they don't always know how to survive. They always, they always assume the worst if they fall in the water. And uh, this is something that, uh, you know, with my father, he taught me uh, how to swim. And uh, he, uh, I, in turn, taught my boys how to swim and uh, so forth. And a lot of it was just learning how to uh, cope in an environment that's not normal. You're, it's not a friendly environment, if you like, because if you do the wrong thing, uh, you can spend a lot of time underwater. And so the job, here's the point, the job of the parent is to give the child the necessary skills to survive in a foreign, potentially dangerous environment and to learn coping and survival skills. So metaphorically, now think about this. We are raising our children not just to live inside the four walls of our home because things are predictable there. Things are pretty safe there. Uh, nobody smokes there. Uh, nobody, uh, nobody does drugs inside of our four, four walls of our house. Pretty safe. But you know what? Outside of the four walls of our house, it's a different world. So we need to teach our kids to swim. What does it look like for you to live in an environment that's kind of hostile? 
What does it look like for you to, what, what, how, do, how do Christians live in a world that's not uh, where everything is, you know, uh, thus saith the Lord and everything is tied to uh, the Bible? What is it like to live uh, in an environment like that? How do you survive? How do you go to college today and put up with everything that's said at college and stuff down your throat uh, in college today that is so contrary very often to biblical common sense? How do you deal with that? And so the idea among the Jewish people, the mindset is that uh, they should be educated to independence. So at some point, we're going to harden off our children. Now, harden off is a, uh, a, a botanical uh, term. Like when a, uh, a nursery grower, he has all these little plants that are growing in his greenhouse. Uh, he doesn't just take them out of the greenhouse one day and put them in the ground and leave them there. He hardens them off. And how he hardens them off is he takes them out uh, for maybe an hour or two a day. He takes the plants out, puts them out in the sunshine, and uh, brings them back in again. And then he takes them out the next day or next week, and he leaves them out for four or five hours, and then he brings them back in again. And then he takes them out and leaves them out all day. And uh, they, they live outside all day in the morning in the, in the hot sun and in the evening sun, and then he brings them back in again. And eventually, he takes them out and leaves them out overnight. And you know what he's doing? He's just gradually hardening them off to the environment they're going to live in. He knows the environment they're going to live in. And so he's hardening them off for that, time, for that time when they're out there. Because they're not going to be in the greenhouse all their life. Now, it doesn't mean that you take your kid and put him in a bar. It doesn't mean you take your kid uh, out and put him in worldly uh, things out there in the world. But it does mean that uh, we're going to slowly... We're going to slowly look at, be, become aware of, and we're going to learn how to deal, how to answer people out there. And it might be through uh, activities in your community or getting involved in some community programs or whatever else. And all of the out-tripping that we do and all of the places that we go, we're going to realize, hey, how do you, how do, how do you answer people who ask you questions like that? And how do you, they're, they're going to be uh, looking for answers as to how to cope in that environment that's not like our home. And that really is a key and a functional responsibility of parents. That's what, uh, that's what we, we want to practice. We want to practice getting our kids used to living in an environment that's not like the four walls of your house. And let's say that our children, maybe one of them wants to get married and they're going to go live in their own house. It's good for us to talk about, hey, when you get married, you know, things are not going to be like they are here. They're going to be different. You're going to have to cook. You're going to have to provide. You're going to have to provide for your wife and your children as they come along. And you're not going to be able to reach back to dad's deeper pockets because dad's been working for 40 years and you're not going to be able to reach back to that so easily. The mandate is for you to leave and cleave. And so we're, 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 we're introducing them to an environment that's not like the one they were raised in. And that's the mindset here that Jewish people have. Now, let me just give you a statement, a quotation here. And again, this is from Brother Branham here. And uh, this is a really telling experience that he had in his own household. Several screens here, but I want you to follow me uh, as we look at this. Because this was a turning point. This is that shock moment that he has in his family where all of a sudden he realizes he doesn't have control like they used to have. When children are young, you can tell them what to wear, where to stand, when to go to bed, when to get up, what to eat, and so forth. But there comes a moment in every family, the shock hits you, and you realize these kids are decision makers themselves. They're getting older, and they're making decisions on their own. 
You have to learn how to adjust to that. As parents, you have to learn how to deal with that. Because you can create real rebellion in the hearts of your children if you respond to this part wrong. So this is really important. And the reason I'm reading this and I'm going to go through it here is because there's so much good wisdom in here and there's so much good information in here uh, for us. So bear with me here. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not going to try to keep you long, but I want you to just take a look at the principles here that he gives to us. So the question is, in questions and answers, uh, uh, will all sons and daughters of true born-again believers be saved? And he says, well, no, brother. He said, they sure won't be. They have to be born again just like mother and father. We're born of the Spirit. And that's what makes a person a new person in Christ is when they're born again. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ like the uh, Philippian jailer. You pray and commit your children to God and hold on to God believing that they will be saved. You can't save them, but you commit them to God. You pray and commit them to God when they're young. And pray that God deals with their heart. And that's, what he, that's how he answers the first part of the question. But then he says, now I just went through this with my own Rebecca. So now he's given us this little insight into his household here. And he describes what this thing was like in detail. And this is what he says. He said, just commit it to God. And when she got to be a little teeny, and she was around 18 years old, and she was going with some girl when we first went out in Arizona, and run over to some girl's house to take music lessons. Well, he said, I came by one day, and here the girl was sitting there at the piano and playing rock and roll. And he said, that was enough for me. So I told her to stay away. Told her to stay away from over there. And she said, well, that's the only place I got to take music. And he said, every kid goes through that. Practically, everyone goes through that age. You did, I did. And we we got to think their thoughts. So then, a few days after that, her mother got after her for something, and she, Rebecca, sassed her back. Now, that's not Rebecca at all. And he said it took, she took off, slammed the door, almost knocked the things off the wall, and went to school. Now, he said, I, I should have taken my belt off. I ought to have taken my belt off, dot, dot, dot. But I thought, wait a minute. i got to think 18-year-old thoughts. Now, watch what he says. His wife started crying, and, and she said, or he said, I know you've done all you can do, and I've done all I can do. Now it's out of our hands. We have to take the next step. Now, he said, there's a corner being turned here. There's a shocking moment where this girl is doing things that all of a sudden she's making up her mind to do. And he says, now we've got to turn this corner. We've got to go to the next step. Well, now, look, honey, he said, you've got, he said, Brother Bram's speaking to his wife. He said, now, you've got to listen to me. He said, it's hard for you to do this. I'm your husband. People drive across the nations just for a few words of advice. And he said, now, Becky never did that to me. And when her mother said something, she slammed the door and said, you expect me to stay, sit here and be a wallflower all my life? And blammy, she slammed the door and went out. And he said, that was the devil. Stop. The way that Rebecca did it was not right. She's at a season where it happens, but the way that she did it in anger and rebellion was not right. Are we okay? That's what he's helping us to understand, is that all kids come to an age of independence, but they need to learn to do it right. And if you've got kids that are coming to that age, you need to tell them, hey, you don't need to leave 
with that spirit. You don't need to leave in anger. You don't need to leave slamming the door behind you. Leave in a right way. Leave in a way that the blessing of the family goes with you. And say, hey, that's going to be our choice. We're going to, uh, we're going to uh, you know, decide that. We're, as a family, uh, you know, as, as mom and dad and you, we're, we're going we're gonna, to uh, see this change uh, through as hard as it is, as tough as it is. We're going to see it through in a way that the Holy Spirit can bless this. Not in a way that everybody's anger is tall. Hey, it hurts. Don't tell me it doesn't hurt. It hurts. Because you've developed a relationship with these kids. And now that they're young adults, you know, you want to spend time with them. You can do adult things with them. And they become not only your children, but they become friends. Don't tell me it isn't hard. I've gone through it. But there's a right way and a wrong way to go about this. And the way that she was acting here was was inappropriate. But here's what Brother Brown goes on to say. Now, Becky never did that to me. He says, but, you know, she, she slammed the door. And I took Meaty, he said, I took her uh, about an hour, and I began to talk to her. And he said, now, Meaty, got to take your hands off. And she said, hey, that's my kid. And I said, well, it's mine too. And he said, if she was dying this morning, you'd have to commit her to God for eternal destination. Why don't we commit her to God now for her earthly journey? So this is a real good thing for for. Uh, us as parents to do when when it's out of our control in other words if she was dying and she was leaving this world she was in a car accident the first thing we would do is pray and commit her to God and say Lord uh, we want you to take control of this and he said that's also true in our earthly journey here and what she's but the decisions that she's about to make here let's pray that God will take control of that and she said me not saying anything to her and I, I said no I never said that but we'll quit scolding her we'll advise her so the way that Sister Mita needed to talk to her had to change. She needs a buddy, and you're the one to be her buddy, you and I. We're her parents. So you can see the role shifts a little bit here. And these kids today need a buddy. They don't need to be left in the death zone all by themselves. So we, get there, we got there down on our knees and committed it to God. And I said, I know she's 18 years old, and she's got a girl that age, and they think about boyfriends, and we've, we've kept her in, and I never wanted to see her get married. I wanted to put her in the office here and do the work. I wanted to see her filled with the Spirit and live like that. Well, we all wanted that. Well, everyone except Rebecca, right? And he said, we've raised her all we can, put her in the hands of God, and commit her to Him. And I said, well, then, when she does say anything, when... When she does anything, say, Becky, darling, mother don't want you to do that, but I'm your pal. I'll stick by you and let her know you love her. And she's going to get somebody to love her. She's going to get somebody to love her, and it might be the wrong woman. You be the woman that does the loving. So in this moment in time, a parent can drive the child away into the arms of somebody she doesn't need to be with. In that moment, a, a parent, parents can drive a child into the arms of some boy that she shouldn't be with because she feels like, I'll do anything to get away from this household because it's nothing but a hassle. And you be the woman that does the loving. Honey, that sounds kind of crude. And he said, I'm common. We're common to one another because we're husband and wife. But he says, but we never let that happen. You must remember, this is the name of the Lord. And he said, she said, all right. And we got down and we committed it to God and said we'd take our hands off it. That afternoon she came in, she said, well, I guess you're still saying I can't go over there. This is Rebecca. I guess you're saying we can't go over there. And Mita said, 
No, I never said anything about it. You know your mother don't want you to do that. You know it would like to kill your daddy when he heard you up there play that music. Ever what it was with that girl? He didn't want you to do that, and we don't want you to do that, Becky. But we committed it to the Lord. And I want you to know that we love you. And whatever you do, we still love you. And she hollered and said, well, I'm going anyhow. And said, all right, dear, all right. I'll have supper ready when you come back. And Rebecca never went. She never went. And she's never went since. And not long after that, she met George. And George is a Christian. The rest of that story is history, right? But he's, he's letting us know that there comes a moment in time, it's like a shock, and there's a moment in time where all of a sudden, it's like our hands are taken off a situation. And you know what? We can fight it. But if we do that, we'll probably drive her farther away. So the best thing for us to do is appeal to God who can influence her sovereignly when we possibly can't. And that's that's his strategy. And I think that's a good strategy. And no matter uh, in in what state your kids are, and uh, even when they're leaving... Uh, on good terms, it's a good thing for husband and wife to uh, to take this matter, uh, you know, to prayer and, and to give it to God, uh, because there's going to be a lot of changes. Your family's not going to be the same. I remember my mother; she grew up with nine children in her family, and she said when the first one left, uh, she said it was like an empty household. Hey, there's still ten people in the house, but she said it felt empty because the normal we knew is not now going to ever be that way again, and they all had to adjust. Remember the interruptions and adjustments. Right, and as each one left their household, they had to adjust. When uh, when Andrew was married and uh, left, and then Peter left, and Steve left, and then Lucas left, and they all left, we had to make adjustments every time. It it became uh, kind of a new new adjustment every time that somebody left and went on their way. Thankfully, all, all of our boys left with our blessing, and they left, you know, to marry uh, good uh, good sisters, good uh, girls, and and uh, establish their own households and so forth. They're, you know, they're working and responsible, and they were not uh, turning against us and running away from us. They were running away because God had put something in their heart that pulled stronger than the pull for the familiar. And I believe that's the way that it should be. And it should not be leaving in rebellion. It should be not leaving under the influence uh, of the devil himself. But it should be uh, leaving with the blessing of the parents so that uh, we, can, uh, you know, we can wish them all the best. Help them whatever way we can. But to tell me, as a father who raised four boys and uh, you know, played in the snow, played in the mud, went everywhere together, did everything together, uh, had all the experiences that we had over all of our years and fishing and scouting and all the other things that we did over the, over the uh, t- uh, 20 odd years or so that we had our boys here to say that uh, you know you don't miss them hey listen you're not human if you don't miss four individuals like my boys and all of a sudden they're gone out of their household and now they have another set of priorities because now they're now we're splitting uh thanksgiving and christmas with another family over here right and uh you know they got to give equal time over here and uh, grandchildren now all of a sudden have two sets of parents that love on them and uh, you know us in the wards down there where they're, they're mine no they're mine no they're mine no they're mine because when it comes to little kids we're used to having them ourselves right that's the way it always was but now we share them we don't begrudge them obviously time with the grandparents there but 
You know, grandparenting is a whole other, whole other uh, way of thinking. But let me say this, that the Lord's instruction for parents is that they teach children boundaries. And we chasten, this is Proverbs 19, chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. In the early years, we want to establish those boundaries because boundaries help a child see that life is not about pursuing what he wants, but surrendering to the Lord and following him. And so your work really is cut out for you as you're raising them. But to me, and this is how we felt about it, we're raising our children to independence. We're raising them to stand on their own two feet. We're raising them like the olive plants so that they can put their roots down in Christianity. They can put their roots down in the Lord and they can be able to stand on their own when they're out on their own. And when they're hardened off appropriately so that they're out there in the world. But they'll produce. If the right things are done in in advance, they'll produce in their season of producing. And boundaries are set with unconditional love. And we'll teach our children to surrender to the Lord because they trust that God knows what is best and will bring true contentment. There comes a point where they're making the decisions on their own and they're going to learn to live with those decisions. We find in Deuteronomy, and I'm almost done here, but in Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one Lord. And this is what uh, Moses taught the children of Israel going into the promised land. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. I've quoted this many times. And verse 7, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Learn them yourself. Teach them to your children. And uh, he said, uh, apply this word when you're in your household and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. In all parts of your life, apply the word of God and God will bless you as you enter into the promised land. But then he goes on down in that same chapter, and this is what I uh, had never really seen. Down in that same chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, When your son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded you? So Moses is talking about when your children are young, we're going to influence them this way, having the word of God constantly and before them in our house. But you know what? There's going to come a time and your son's going to ask, Why are we doing this? What's the point of this? What's the significance of these statutes and commandments? Uh, We've always followed this, and I've never questioned that, but now I want you to explain to me. So in other words, a young man is growing up into his own experience and his own identity in in Christ, his own identity in the Lord, and it, it is important for us as fathers to learn how to tell our children, this is why we believe what we believe. This is why we hold to the Scripture, and this is why we apply the token in our household. And he says, begin to tell him the story. In 21, then thou shalt say to thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt. And this is where we came out of. And this is where we are today. Now we're entering in. And in the very next chapter, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, now warn your sons, warn your children, neither make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give, uh, thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. In other words, As your children grow older, they're establishing their own identity in the Lord. But you know what? Then they come to the marrying age. And you got to make sure that they're not just looking for a pretty uh, Moabite over here on the other side of the river. You make sure that they marry their own kind. So you see this progression here. It's going from little children that we influence in our household to sons who are able to stand up and ask a man to man, why is it that we believe what we believe? And then warning them as you cross into the land over there, there's going to be people that uh, you could marry. And you better be sure when it, when it comes time to making choices, you're marrying the right person. Because you know what we're doing? We're raising them to independence. We're raising them to stand 
on their own two feet. And that's exactly what God uh, would have us to do. I read this, <clears throat> read this little article here, and I just want to share it with you here. This person was writing about the empty nest. Because when your children leave, and a husband and wife face each other, this person wrote about this particular time in, in life. All of these years of meals, school clothes, then a peck on the cheek and farewell, until you realize it's just the way it is. And it's even biblical. Ephesians 5, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. And I've seen a, another, a mother bird pushing her baby out of the nest so it will learn to fly. Or when it stopped raining and Noah sent a dove out until it never returned. He said, it makes me sad each time I hear that part. But the thing about loving someone is that it always changes you. And that's part of the bargain. That's part of the experience. No one has ever loved and not been wounded. No one has ever loved and not been wounded. I'm going to close and say that, you know, we, we love our kids. Now, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say, speak for myself. I love my boys. I love them in a, a real way. A real way where we were able to have a lot of fun together and a lot of experiences together. I took them on the mission field all over the world. They experienced cultures and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the dangers of being in dangerous situations and the, uh, the drama of, of being in other cultures and all the other things that went with that. Broadened their horizons, and I think it helped them greatly. We spend time, lots of time, alone in, in situations that sometimes we chose and sometimes we didn't choose. And I stood there when they went through their valleys and their rebellious times and their difficult times and all of that stood there with them prayed with them knelt with them carried them through my wife and I you know and did everything we could to help them to grow in school and intellectually and academically and spiritually and everything in in every way and when you go through life like that for 20 25 years you get to know somebody, and you get to love them. You form bonds with people. And whether they're young or uh, whether they're young adults, there's a connection that you have that's not easily broken. I don't think moms ever really fully let go because God put it in them not to let go. And when you love somebody, it always changes you. It, it makes you a different person when you love somebody because to really love them means that you, there's a give and a take. There's a relationship that's formed. You're honest with one another. They see you at your best and worst, and you see them at their best and worst. That's part of the, part of the life we live. We, we want our kids to love one another, and we want our kids to show respect, and we want to show respect to them and love them. And you can't do that without being hurt when they go their way. And when there's a pull in them that... When you realize and step back and look at it, God put it in them to pull them, and it's stronger than to pull to stay at home with mom and dad, stay at home with their family, stay at home where everything is predictable. But God put it in them to draw them into a new life that God's ordained for them. 
No one's ever loved and not been wounded. As I said, the beauty of all of that involves grandchildren, involves spending time with them and a new addition to the family, which I look at my daughters-in-law as additions to the family. But I will say this, that God's intent in the beginning was that this is the order for a family, that Christ would be first. Our marriage covenant comes second in importance. And then thirdly, children. In our culture, very often, this is the way it plays out. This is the way it happens. Because when a child is born, everybody comes and everybody takes pictures of it and everybody loves it and uh, everybody wants to hold it. Everybody wants to have pictures made with it. Everybody wants to post it on Facebook and everybody's so proud of the children and so forth. And we, we in a sense, in our culture, we, we elevate children to a place that makes them really important. And mothers and wives give a lot of time to children, especially when they're newborn. And that's natural. That's natural. Your challenge, though, as, as parents is to not lose sight of the relationship that is most important and the one that you vowed to, and that is the one with your spouse. And when that relationship is not strong and you take the children out of the equation, now it becomes a whole learning process. Now it becomes a challenge to be able to live together with one another when it's just you and your wife again. For, for some people, not a problem. For some people, that's a joy. Now we can go do things. Now we are a little, have a little bit more liberty to do things. And we can go visit family here, visit the family there, visit grandchildren here and so forth. And it can be a joy. My wife and I have enjoyed being able to, uh, to do that, to drop in and you know, be able to, uh, you know, to, to do that within our limited schedule, but to be able to do that. But I've watched people who, who have grown apart because the mother's emphasis very often is with the children in an exaggerated way so that the relationship has suffered. And my caution to you is this, is that I believe that the, the priority is that we raise our children to independence and we realize that one day they will become independent. They will leave. And so therefore it's a good thing for us to keep in mind that, you know what, seasons are going to change, our ages are going to change, Our children are going to change. Our children are going to leave. But my spouse, which is a reflection of or a type of my relationship to Christ, is not going to change. I'm with him forever. And I'm with her forever. That if everybody leaves home and everybody's gone, it's still me and her. And in the same way in your life, if everybody leaves and everybody walks away, you still have Christ because he said he'd be with you in you forever. He'd never leave you nor forsake you. And ideally your spouse has the same attitude in the same way that, hey, we're together, always been together, gone through different seasons, but you know what? We're together and glad for it. It's not, it's not an easy uh, season for any of us to go through. It, it involves great change, but I will tell you this, that uh, in, in, our, in our situation here, I'm, I'm just so grateful that uh, the boys have been able to step off into married life and to be able to establish their own households. And I look at that, and I see that, and I, you know, I'm thankful that uh, they have a walk with the Lord individually and you know, they're able to uh, not be totally dependent. They're responsible, they're good workers, they're good Christians, and uh, you know, s- serving God and 
uh, part of the kingdom, the body of Christ. I'm, I'm just so thankful for that. And I, we, we, we owe that. We owe the credit to God. Like Brother Manham said, I did all I can do. You did all you can do to his wife. But you know what? We have to commit him to God, and he gets the glory and the honor for that. Let's stand to our feet, and let's stop there. <clears throat> And I thank you for being patient and listening and letting me tell you that nothing will ever stop this process from, uh, from actually happening. And uh, there's, a, there's a pull in there that's not sinful. It's a pull in there that's not uh, perverted uh, in the normal, natural progress of things. God puts a pull in there that's able to pull them, extract them right out of their uh, father and mother's house that God put in there, and it's a powerful thing. I'd like to pray with you if you don't mind. Sister Becky, if you'd just play, let's just, uh, let's just have a word of prayer as we end our service tonight. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, We know, Lord, there are families that are entering into this season where things are changing in their household. And there's some, Lord, that this has already happened, it's already taken place. And, Lord, as we, in a spiritual sense, we would say, Lord, when everybody goes, we're glad you're still here. And as for me, Lord, I say I'm, so thankful that you gave me a wife who's faithful and Lord we appreciate and love one another and I just am thankful for that we have adjustments to make like every other family because these interruptions happen I pray you'd help us Lord and for every one of these families that are going through these changes in these years Lord may you give them wisdom and help them Lord to prepare their children for independence because that's part of our job description. And as our children get older, Lord, we think about that more frequently. Think about it, Lord, because it's really happening. Lord, may we prepare their hearts for that moment. May, Lord, they leave with our blessing. May that be our, our target that we aim at, Lord, that our children can leave with your blessing. Help us, Lord, I pray, right where we are. And Father, now as we dismiss, I pray that you would allow these parents, Lord, to take the wisdom that your word provides for us. Lord, may we take it home and apply it in our lives. Maybe look at things just a little bit differently, that that's really what your plan has been about all along for families. Help us, Lord, where we are. Forgive us of our mistakes and our weaknesses. We'll ask it all in Jesus Christ's lovely name.
fire today. Sing this now. time in my life, Lord. you go tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here and listening and being patient. Uh, we appreciate that so much. And may God bless you. May God bless your household, the households that are represented here uh, tonight. And for all of you that are going through this, and I know some of you are coming to it, uh, may God give you the wisdom that you need in order to navigate uh, this time of life because there's lots of choices and decisions that need to be made. So may God guide you through that, uh, through that uh, season, through that time. So as we go tonight, let's sing that little chorus. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. Let's sing that tonight as we go. God bless you. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our Oh. Uh-huh.